Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Johnny Sensel. Johnny's the author of more than a dozen nonfiction titles for adults, five novels for young readers from Macmillan imprints, and two picture books. Her fiction titles include a Junior Library Guild selection, a Center for Children's Books Best Book, a Henry Berg Honor title, and a finalist for several other awards. Her nonfiction titles have given her a dangerous level of knowledge about industries as diverse as public power, wood products, kidney disease, lean manufacturing, recycling, and healthcare. She balances this education by avoiding any knowledge whatsoever about professional wrestling hit, hit TV shows or K-pop. Sensel holds an MFA in writing from Vermont College of Fine Arts. She previously served, served for four years as a co-regional advisor for one of the nation's largest chapters of the Society of Children's Books Writers and Illustrators, with more than 700 members. More recently, she served as this chapter's creativity liaison, among other volunteer roles. Over the past 18 years, Sensel's taught dozens of writing workshops and seminars in locations from Alaska to Amsterdam for local, regional, and international organizations. She's a certified grief educator and first aid arts responder, and she's recently focused her courses and online workshops on creativity and spirituality topics. Welcome, Johnny. Thank you for speaking with me today, Cheryl. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. And um, thank you for your book. Um, there was such a, uh, you know, obviously I've read a lot of uh, grief material, including many, many, many memoirs. And what I appreciated was um, kind of the, the stripped bare honesty of, of all the experiences that you had in the process of, of your partner's uh, death and grief and, and all of that. Um, you know, it, it takes a lot to be that honest. Well, I actually think that's one of the things that loss points us toward is priorities and perspective and mm. the value of just being honest with each other. I think that's really important. And it's also easily to sweep things under the rug um, in the culture that we're in today. And especially because there's a, a very strong theme in your book of, of kind of what's beyond our everyday existence, uh, what what you call numinous experience and those kind of existential and, and deep questions about how the universe works and what's beyond this world. Uh, it seemed especially important to me that that did not undermine the power of grief, that, that both could be true, um, coexisting. Is that how you experienced it? Yes. And, 
you know, as you may have noticed in my book, I, I'm a sciencey person. <laughs> I thought for a while I might go into physics or astronomy. And so I'm completely supportive of the idea of science and rationality and facts. And I've also had lots of experiences that I feel aren't easy to explain with kind of our materialist perspective mm -hmm. and the scientific attitude that if it can't be demonstrated in a lab, it must not exist. Mm -hmm. So while a lot of people seem to feel they have to choose one or the other, I think that experience and emotion and love and some of those most important things in our lives can coexist with science. And they're just two different ways of experiencing and looking at and understanding the world. Different layers, perhaps. Uh, because, of course, science is never complete either. There are things we can't know yet. Um, right. And things all the time we discover that we thought we knew that we were wrong about. Right? The, I mean, the earth used to be flat, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh -huh. So um, I was saying to you before we came on, you know, this whole debate, uh, you, you talk about it as people thinking you're being woo-woo if you point at these um, more intuitive experiences, uh, right. inexplicable, mysterious um, how do you navigate that in the world? Let's let's start though, before we get to that entirely, with the biggest one that that you start your book with, um, the intuition that your beloved, your your uh, the love of your life would not be with you long. Can you say a little more about that experience that that? message as it were and um what that led to for you um i can and maybe this is an appropriate place for me to read the beginning of book because that is very much where i start the story absolutely all right this opening chapter is titled my secret and it's written in the form of a letter to my partner my dearest tony You'd been gone a couple hours, but your body was still here. All six foot two of you stretched out on the living room floor on the sheet the paramedics had used to carry you downstairs. They'd banged your big feet and shoulders against the wall and balustrade. As I followed them, I'd looked away, pretended not to hear that clunking. Now I was crouched on the step stool in the kitchen, clutching my robe around me and trying not to see your husk from the corner of my eye. Your essence clung more to the kitchen cabinets you'd installed, the slate gray appliances we'd picked out together, the wood grain flooring you'd removed and replaced. But it's a small house we shared, so your face loomed pale in my peripheral vision. I hunkered over my knees, my position upright but fetal. I needed to be close to the floor, where it's hard to fall down. The floor your body was laid out on, it kept us together. I considered slipping down to the cold laminate and curling into myself there. Its chill seemed inviting. But I didn't want to make the volunteer EMTs, mostly strangers, any more uncomfortable than they already looked. They'd tried hard, for an hour, after my own 30 minutes of CPR on your chest. They were kind. 
Several lingered until mom or the medical examiner could arrive so I didn't have to wait by myself. You were gone. In the meantime, I had to make myself small, low to the ground, so the universe wouldn't notice me there. It had made a bargain with me, and the price had come due. But the real pain hadn't hit yet. If I stayed small, maybe I could keep the pain smaller, too. Mom and Dad arrived, sliding open the door. A puff of cold came in with them, the air chilled by the two feet of snow on the ground. I looked up but stayed down, my wrists pressed to my chest. Mom bent toward me. I'm so sorry, honey. She probably put an arm around me. I don't remember. Tears choked my voice. I've always known I wouldn't have him for long. She straightened. How did you know? She probably expected to hear of some illness, some diagnosis you'd had. There hadn't been one. I shrugged through my tears. I don't know, pre-birth contract? The truth was too complicated to push out while weeping. So I'm telling you instead, sweetheart. And I go on from there to recount the premonition I had our first really long weekend together early on in what was a whirlwind romance that I could have this great gift of love, but I would have to lose him. You mentioned in the book, a movie, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, blanking the name of it right now where that's the, the absolute subject that one of the partners knows how it will end uh, yeah. and, and chooses it anyway. Yes, yes. Um, the title's not coming to my mind right at the moment either, but mm -hmm. I love that movie. And it was yeah, one that we too. saw maybe, maybe six months before Tony died. Mm -hmm. um, but I loved the theme of it that just because we experience time as linear doesn't mean that it is. And I do have enough theoretical physics understanding to know that that's very much a possibility in the science and real world as well as in, <laughs> as, in well, as well as the luminous world. Uh -huh. uh -huh. <laughs> right. Well, you know, we're, our stories are a little bit mirror images because, of course, um, I uh, recommitted. I had been with my first wife early in my life. I recommitted to her when she after her diagnosis. And so in literal scientific terms, she was not expected to live. So you knew it on that numinous level. Um, and I knew it scientifically. So I thought she ended up living a, a very long time after that, what, about nine years longer than they gave her uh, with their, uh, not even scientists can predict the future, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, not not necessarily very accurately. Not anyway. very accurately, and especially um, in the mysterious world of illness. But um, I was trying to imagine myself into your circumstance where you felt it to be true without the scientific uh, evidence, right? And right. and that that affected you in a similar way. Uh, really to the way that I was affected, you know, now or never worth it, you know, uh, I wouldn't have wanted to miss it is, is where I came out on the subject. Right, right. And I felt the same way. 
even even before I had the premonition that I was going to lose him, I came home from my very first weekend with him and told one of my friends, no matter what happens, if this completely crashes and burns, if the relationship goes sour and turns out to be an axe murderer or something, remind me <laughs> that it was still entirely worth it while it was good because it was we were such a good match and I had pretty much expected to spend the rest of my life alone at that point. Um, I had turned 51. And so I was so startled and thrilled to find someone who was such a great connection and to feel so much of that love that if somehow my understanding of him was wrong or something happened with our long distance relationship that just made it impossible. I still wanted to be really reminded of how fantastic it was and something about that appreciation, I guess, Mm -hmm. just morphed into my appreciation for him after having the premonition and knowing that it was still fantastic. It wasn't that our relationship was going to fall apart for whatever reason. It was just that he wasn't going to be around as one as, as long as I would have wanted him to. You would lose his body, basically. Yes. Yeah. His presence yeah. physically. Mm-hmm. 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 Which um, I don't know if you agree with this, but uh, I, I kept reminding myself in grief that that's what the loss was. Uh, I didn't exactly feel like I lost her, but I certainly lost her, the co-parent, her, the, you know, shoulder, her, all the physical aspects of our relationship were so utterly gone. Right. I, it took me a little while to sort of come to that point. I think Um, I'm a strong believer at this point in the idea that we can continue to have a relationship with those who are gone um, is much more subtle. Mm-hmm. I think that it takes some work. I think in a lot of cases it takes an adjustment period or some of the immediate shock and grief to level out and become, I hate to right. say this, to become the new normal. Um, you sort of have to get used to feeling that pain. But after that, um, especially immediately after Tony's death, for about the first nine months, I'd say, I really felt his presence strongly, whether you want to believe in ghosts or his influence on my life or the parts of him that I'd sort of taken inside of me, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, and And that faded too, but I do definitely still feel as though we have a connection, I can talk to him. I I feel, for better or worse, like I sometimes get answers back from him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, like I said, it's much more subtle. And there's no denying that it's a great loss of that physical presence. But it's, it's not a total loss. And I don't want to um, bypass the the gigantic loss it is right people can't get around that right if the person most people can't i've i've met a few people in my life who who appear to uh, just be so connected in some spiritual realm that they don't suffer 
the the grief in the same way, but I'm always looking askance at that, to be honest. Yeah, <laughs> I don't, it's hard for me don't to see how that's possible, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the crying every day was a necessary part for me yep. of, of getting to the next place. And uh, still sometimes is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, wh- how long has it been since Tony died? Uh, it's been a little over five years now, which is in some ways hard for me to believe. Um the pandemic hasn't helped, of course. I think it's all of our sense of time has kind of kind of warped, shifted. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he's actually been gone for longer than I had him. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel like that, right? Well, I was I was curious because, of course, for me, it's been you know twenty seven years, something like that, uh, and it does change over time for me still. Um, I'm just very planted in being glad to have had her and um, not that there aren't some moments where she's painfully absent, but it, it is a really different experience than it was five years in even. That's interesting. Uh, my experience has certainly changed over the five years uh, to be honest, it's hard for me to imagine <laughs> what it would be like in another 10 or 15 years. I, <laughs> It's hard for me to want to be here that long, <laughs> to experience it that long, to tell you the truth. But um, it changes a lot over, I think, just the first few years. Absolutely. Um, you know, Not in any predictable timeline, but... Right, right. And I'm sure it's different for every person. I, for probably the first six months, it was really easy for me to be super grateful that I'd known him at all. Um, And maybe that's just how long it took for the shock to wear off. (laughs) You know, I'm not sure. It became much more difficult after that. Um, That's interesting because I've thought a lot about that, uh, you know, because I'm a grief counselor. I work with people who've, who've lost partners a lot, right? And there is a sort of a grace period, and I, I, don't, um, I don't feel inclined to call it shock. It's like you're connected to a different space. Uh, but that's very, very common in my experience that right at first, of course, it hurts, you cry and everything, but it, it, it doesn't hit with full force. Yeah, uh, for me, it was a little bit like, I had to spend some time to sort of start realizing how long forever was sort of how long permanent was in terms of a change in my life. Kind of for all the, the way I sometimes describe that is uh, it takes a long time for all your cells to catch up, you know, to really take in what's happened. Yeah. Yep. There's another thing, uh, we're not gonna. We're about to have a break, so we won't be able to fully uh, talk this through before the break. But I'd like to come back to it. Um, you know, because of various circumstances, which you can go into or not as you desire. Um, you and he didn't marry, and yet you had obviously a marriage, and of course that's really familiar in my community. Uh, because mm-hmm. people couldn't get married, right? Right. And it really affects not how you feel 
in the loss, but how other people relate to it. Yes. And and I really want to hear what you have to say about that, because some of the uh, scenes where you talked about um, navigating his family were very painful to me for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, not being fully recognized as what you clearly were, right? Right. Um, so let's go to a break and then talk about that when we get back. Sounds List- good. Listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. Please reach out. Let me know what you enjoy of the, of the show or what you think about it. To find Johnny Sensel, go to johnnysensel.com. It's J-O-N-I-S-E-N-S-E-L.com. Be back soon. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Resiliency is the human capacity to lean into individual and collective strengths with compassion and grit when faced with the challenges of lived experience. Join host Elaine miller Karras for Resiliency Within, a program of hope and healing designed to inspire you to integrate wellness into your life, your family, and your community. In challenging times, you'll want to tune in every week. Resiliency Within can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Johnny Sensel about her book, Feeling Fate. And before the break, Johnny, I was just commenting that um, the, some of the painful aspects of the book for me were kind of the, I don't want to go as far as disrespect, but lack of recognition for you as his partner after he died. Um, and 
you did talk some about that being painful, but I wondered, uh, obviously, the circumstance for his kids were was somewhat complicated, all that, but I felt a lot of it might have been legality. Uh, do you think so? Well, I mean, to tell you the truth, Cheryl, I consider myself really fortunate overall in that department. Um, so listeners understand, when I met Tony, he was still married to his wife, whom he had loved very much, and they'd had a great relationship, as well as two kids. But she was in the very late stages of Alzheimer's, young onset Alzheimer's. And she was basically in a coma at that point. I visited her with him a couple of times in the care home where he had finally been forced to move her so that she could have the care she needed. He couldn't manage his kids and his job and take care of her too because she was really quite far along. Because of that, and for various financial reasons related to being able to continue to provide her care, we couldn't even really consider marriage. Mm. Add to that the fact that his kids struggled a little bit with the idea that he would have a relationship with anyone, even though she hadn't been really in any sense truly alive for several years by the time we met. Um, so we just considered ourselves life partners. She finally, her body finally gave up and she finally passed away um, less than six months before his death. And in that transition period, I would have loved to have gotten married to him, but it didn't seem appropriate to rush that in terms of being sensitive to his kids' feelings. Sure. I so, no, that. we weren't actually married, although people made the assumption that we did. People in shops and waiters, Tony accidentally would say, your husband is doing X, Y, Z when he was referring to himself in the third person or whatever. We certainly considered ourselves married. But again, I felt pretty lucky that I felt that his family embraced me as well as they could be expected to, if not better. Mm -hmm. Things that happened around his funeral service and some of those things that definitely, I think, would have been less likely to have happened if we had legally been married. I think it would have occurred to them if we were actually married that maybe I should have some say in what we're right. paper about. That's, a, that's the kind of thing I was thinking about for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and most of my friends and family, because they knew how close our relationship was, they were fantastic too. But I have to admit, again, I'll be maybe slightly too honest here. I, it still hurts when my mom will occasionally reference Tony to someone else in our family or to someone we're meeting and talk about how Johnny's friend died. Um, he was uh, much more than a friend. And I would yes. like my mother to recognize that. And I think she does. And maybe it's just that she's of a generation that if you don't have the marriage certificate, it's hard to maybe think of it as counting as much. But it gave me just a tiny, tiny taste of what so many other people go through in much more major ways when the relationship really isn't uh, recognized by other members of their life, um, isn't legal, isn't socially acceptable, all of those things. I can all those things. really appreciate it. You know, it's pro that's probably that that got tweaked for me because um, 
my my now wife, my second wife, now for like 25 years, uh, is the oldest of a very large family. And and they were accepting and welcoming, but the day after we actually did a wedding, uh, it changed something. Mm. You know, it, it's it's so unconscious, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was now the sister-in-law. That was before law, by the way. But um, right. it 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 shifted something, and we both noticed it that we were now part of of this larger thing, uh, and of course. People come up with all kinds of words to try to replace when they're not allowed to marry Mm -hmm. for some reason or can't. Like in your case, what do you call the other person? He wasn't your boyfriend, right? (laughs) Right. I often Uh, called him my sweetheart. Uh Um, And I actually, I truly considered him my soulmate, but I have seen so many people like make fun of that idea or even the concept that there might be soulmates that I tended to just say sweetheart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my first wife and I, our, our chosen word was beloved, mm, I like um, it. which I think we got from Stephen Levine, honestly. <laughs> uh, he wrote a book about um, embracing the beloved was the name of it. Mm-hmm. So I guess it was also a little bit fortunate, perhaps, that you had moved into a home that you owned. Before. I consider it more than fortunate. I <laughs> I sometimes think, oh man, if if he had died while we had still lived in Springfield, in a house that his name was on but not mine, um, in a state I wasn't familiar with, I had no friends or family. I. You can call it silly if you want to, but I really do feel like the fact that we were able to sell that house so quickly when we decided to do it, that he decided to retire years before he had initially planned to and years before he had committed to his employer and move back to Washington State where I live now and where I had kept my house and where the house is in my name. Um, I just think how much more difficult it would have been for me and we would have missed out on the opportunity to live in this house for his energy to infuse it for me, if you will, for us to make the remodeling changes that we've made to it and for us to experience life on the West Coast as well as in the Midwest together. Mm-hmm. I, it just, again, <laughs> it, it, feels, it feels like um, a kindness that the universe granted me. And let's dive into that a little bit more because... Uh... Of course, we're talking about synchronicity in the way. We're talking about a sense of being at certain point, uh, moments being touched by the divine, you know, however you want to describe it. You and he had quite a lot of that, but previous to him in your life, you had experienced that before. I, I get the impression that wasn't highlighted for you um, until. Um, you know, until he died. But um, can you talk about your early experiences of seeing kind of beyond the science? I can. And if you think it's appropriate, I have a short piece from the book I can read that would sort of introduce that. Perfect. Absolutely. This chapter comes after I talk about the premonition I had about losing Tony. It's called The Unseen. 
it's fair to ask why I believed this intuition. College welcomed me as a budding scientist, after all, although two years of physics and its black and white answers drove me to the grays in the English department instead. I still think of myself as practical and grounded, but I'm open to experiences we can't explain. Why? Blame my dead sister. My credulity started with her. Joanna was my golden-haired toddler companion for less than two years before she died. I was three and a half when it happened. A few moments from my earliest years stick in my mind, including strobe images of that last day and Joanna, but no memories of missing my sister are there. My parents' grief must have been shattering, too enormous to hide in our small duplex apartment, but my baby brain blocked it. She was just gone. We didn't quite pretend that she'd never existed. Joanna's name simply never came up. It was an early initiation into a truth known by every child, the reality below the surface, the world of the unseen. Drugs and alcohol, mental illness, abusive treatment, affairs. Every house I knew had a skeleton closet, some of them bursting. Joanna's death wasn't the only secret in my family, so I can't remember a time when I wasn't attuned to creepy feelings, intuition, and the certainty that things are not what they seem. And a few places in the book, I recount a few of the experiences I had, some of them associated with my sister, that sort of over the course of my life have convinced me that there's a lot about life in the universe that we don't understand, and that those experiences of ghosts or spirits or intuition or precognition or even deja vu probably have something to them enough that it's sometimes worth trusting them i think when you've when you've had those types of experiences which i've also had um it's it's got a quality of undeniability Right, but but as soon as you try to explain mystery, uh, it's diminished. I think. Yeah, and I somewhere I actually read a definition of numinous experience that included the fact that it's virtually impossible to talk about or to really capture verbally. That it's it's something that works on us at a part of our brain or part of our soul that is beyond the verbal parts of our brain. I think we feel it. We know, but we can't convince anyone else. (laughs) Unless they've also had that experience. You don't have to convince me for sure. I'm thinking of a friend of mine who um, we kind of met. We met at at a Stephen Levine workshop. Um, You know, we, we share a common perspective and if we're together and something like that happens, she'll she'll just go, there he is. Or, you know, mm-hmm. um, there's a casual way of referring to it between us that's just inviolate. And I wonder if you have people like that in your life. You know, there's the doubters and the people who think it's not real and, and want you to explain it if they're going to consider it. Um, but are there also the people who who just say yes? Uh, I've I've felt that, or I've I've um, I've walked that way myself. Absolutely, I think it's sort of a truism about grief that 
when you're in it, it sometimes shows you who your real friends are, or mm-hmm. at least who the people in your life are who can be counted on for support and maybe who is unable to give that support. And I actually think that when it comes to what I sort of fondly call woo-woo experiences, that that's a similar sort of a sorting and that that's why I actually think it's important to be so honest because I want to have people in my life who value honesty. Tony certainly did. Mm -hmm. And if anything that I say in my honesty is going to make someone turn away from me, I would just as soon know that (laughs) and have them turn away from me. And Uh, well, I certainly have friends and family members who I can sort of see in their eyes when I talk about these things that they're like, okay, well, that's just Johnny and that's fine. They've accepted me for who I am and that's fine. They don't have to agree with me. But I also have found that talking about these experiences has really deepened my bonds with several of my friends who have had similar experiences and Mm. also didn't talk about them until I sort of broke the ice. And I really value the way in which we can use experiences that are hard to explain as a path to deepening that relationship. You talk a lot in the book about cultivating what you're calling intuition, which is like, some people might say sixth sense, some people might say beyond the rational, mystery, whatever you call it. How do you cultivate that in your life, and we're we're just going to begin, and we'll come back to it um, after the break. Well, I'll preview what we may talk about by saying I think being open to it and practicing are the most important ways. And so that that tells me that you have ways to practice it, right? So th- sure, absolutely. Yeah. After after we get back from the break, I want to hear your ways of doing that. I think we all do it somewhat differently, don't we? Um, each person being uniquely themselves. I'll mm-hmm. bet you have different ways than I do, than someone else does. Um, so let's let's come back to that in, in, after the break. Uh, listeners, you can go to weatheringgrief.com, my website, or the Good Grief host page to find me. And to find Johnny Sensel, you can go to johnnysensel.com, J-O-N-I-S-E-N-S-E-L.com. Back soon. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. <laughs> 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins looks at how natural healing and biological dentistry can safely and effectively treat most health problems. You'll hear about the innovations in both traditional and alternative medicine therapies with doctors and dentists, along with discussions with chiropractors, medical experts, homeopaths, naturopaths, and energetic healers. It's great to have all the best information in one place. And Functional Medicine with Dr. Robbins brings it all together. Listen Thursdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I've been talking with Johnny Senzel about her book, Feeling Fate. Um, go look for the book. It's it's really worth worth the read for sure. And before the break, Johnny, we were uh, beginning a conversation about how to cultivate that intuitive part of us. What's interesting, what I want to say as a preamble, is that one thing I've noticed in these um, you know eight years of doing this show is that people have gone through deep grief tend to make decisions more intuitively than mentally. Uh, I don't know if if you can co-sign that, but that's, you know, well, I just felt this was the way to go. (laughs) I'll hear that a a lot. And then it turned into this thing, you know. Um, And I think you talked about that quite a bit in the book, just um, being drawn to do a certain thing and then having it lead you somewhere. So how do you cultivate your own intuition? Um, I I think I have to agree with you. And I wonder if it's just because grief sort of busts open our emotions so much that we begin to value them more than we might have otherwise relative mm. to the logic uh, in our heads. But, you know, I, I've taught writing workshops many years. And one of the workshops I've taught was how to try to access your subconscious a little bit more because most people who are creative recognize that some of the work that's getting done is happening below their level of conscious awareness. And I am perfectly willing (laughs) to concede that what I consider intuition or numinous experiences may in fact just be workings of our brain and our subconscious that we don't necessarily understand. Um, So I think of it as how do you get in touch with your subconscious? How do you get in touch with the consciousness of nature? And I could probably give you a long list that would take us an hour rather than just a few minutes that we have left. But I think a couple of things. If you 
start paying attention to dreams. If you're someone who remembers your dreams and whether you keep a dream journal or just consider those dreams and try to understand what they might be trying to say to you. I think that's something that signals to our subconscious that we're paying attention with our conscious brain. <laughs> we're and at it, least a little bit interested, right? <laughs> that we're interested. Yeah. I told writers, I think your subconscious is kind of like a dog. If you give it attention, it will do more of what you're giving it attention for. Um, so I think dreams are a really good place for a lot of people to start. But I also just think that being willing to entertain the emotional or intuitive feelings you have, maybe write them down. I, you know, if your intuitive feeling is to go spend all of your money on a lottery ticket, probably there's some part of you that wants to stop you from making a bad decision. But being open to it, you know, no one can come in the door if the door isn't open. And mm -hmm. I think a really good place to start becoming more connected to that, to your own subconscious and to whatever is in the world around us is to spend as much time in nature as you can. And whether that means time petting your dog or weeding in your garden or time out in the wilderness, I think that the more we become aware of what's around us, there's a reciprocal effect. And the more we become aware of our own sensations and feelings and those little thoughts that can bubble up from our subconsciouses so that we can use them. That's that's a uh, that resonates for me, and also I guess I would say, uh, tell me if you uh, think of it this way. Uh, when, well, I was cultivating my intuition the whole time, my wife was sick, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> to mm -hmm. to navigate that, so I got some good practice. But I would say that after she died, and I was still living, you know, I lived through it. Mm -hmm. Um. Being afraid of something was no longer ruling me the way it might have before. Right. And, um, you know, there's how we cultivate intuition, and then there's the ways in which we block intuition. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't really do that anymore after that. Uh, yeah. Doesn't mean I have access every minute, of course not. But, you know, I'm not afraid of it. Worse things have happened, Yeah. Right, exactly. I think fear is a big, a big blocker. I mean, it's a big blocker of most of what's in our life, probably, actually. And it's true that when you suffer a major loss, there's definitely a part of you that thinks, what have I got to lose? I've already got lost the, the most important thing to me. Um, I might as well go ahead and follow my hunches and my feelings, because how bad can it be compared to what I've already experienced? Um, and even if the fear is just you know, I don't want to tell anyone about this intuition or I don't want to examine my dream because it might tell me I need to make a change in my life that I'm afraid to make. Um, being able to get past that fear is probably another key way to ensure that the intu intuition bubbles up more than it has in the past. During the break, we were referring a bit to, to uh, our shared encouragement of the idea that true love exists. Uh, because we've both experienced it, right? Me twice. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, right. And to me, there seems to be a connection here. I mean, having been deeply loved uh, certainly made me braver, too. Uh, you know, aside mm -hmm. from the, the death and loss thing, um, 
someone really respecting me entirely, loving me entirely, you know, mistakes are not as threatening. Right. Yeah. Try it out. (laughs) It provides sort of a foundation that you can always come back to, right? Yes. Yeah, for me. And I got the impression for you that for all of the grief, depression, everything you experienced that was so painful, I didn't hear one shred of a doubt that Tony loved you. I don't have a doubt. I I think we were really good um, in part because of the grief he had already experienced with his wife, I think, and the perspective on life that that gave him. Hmm. I think we were both really good at being who we were, you know, 100% and being completely honest. And that extended to making sure we each knew how much the other was cherished. Um, that that helped me a lot and has been something I've held on to considerably that definitely makes it easier to get through. It's a paradox, though, because that's also the the, the way you felt that when he was living is not available, right? So Right, uh, right. It's, it's also painful. It's not one or the other, is it? No, but, you know, I think cynicism is uh, the scourge of our times. <laughs> and whether that's cynicism about experiences you have and are afraid to credit or cynicism about love or holding yourself back from being fully in a relationship, um, I think that's kind of corrosive to everything that we might do in our lives, which is why I'm, I would rather, you know, risk everything and lose everything than do life halfway. And I think that's what cynicism gets you. And, and um, hopelessness because uh, many times when I'm working with people on um, relationships, um, they're, they're thinking they must settle, you know, well, that doesn't really, that's not really true or real, this true love thing. What if I don't find anybody? And so it's also shows up in, in partner choice, right? Mm-hmm. You were, you were saved from that because you weren't looking for a partner, right? You know, it wasn't, right. uh, it wasn't, how do I get someone or, you know, any of that? It was a, it was a, uh, a uh, bolt of lightning rather. Yeah, exactly. Um, because I wasn't afraid to be alone. And I, I understand that a lot of people are, especially if they don't have much experience being alone. Um, but I think most anyone who has spent time living alone would agree being alone is far better than being with the not right partner. And you can't find the right partner if you're with the not right one either. <laughs> or at least it's more challenging. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very challenging indeed. <laughs> I can go along <laughs> with you there. So, you, you know, I, I, I'm not very futuristic in the way I work, but I, I do try to go to the future. Okay, you get in a relationship with this person who you're telling me yourself is not right for you. Where does that go? How are you feeling in five years? Right. How's it possibly going to get better from there? Probably the, not. <laughs> yeah. 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 But on the other hand, if you haven't felt that deep down 
connection to another human that you and I are talking about, it's hard to trust that, it, speaking of things not in evidence scientifically, it's hard to trust that that will come. And of oh, course, absolutely. It, it can't yeah. be guaranteed, can it? No, it certainly can't. And, you know, I guess I don't want to give, sound like I'm giving someone advice when I know, you know, for many Many of the days and months I had with Tony, all I could think about was how absolutely lucky I was. So, because I do know that, you know, it's not always as um, perfectly aligned as it worked out to be for me. So, I can't blame anyone if they might be settling, <laughs> but I want to encourage them to keep their eyes open at least while they're young and see what happens because I, I do know that there are truly people who are compatible. Um, and if you're with someone who's not very compatible, have hope. <laughs> well, also, the realization of, of how something is different does refer to experiences that, for instance, you had a, another loss, which was a divorce, right? Right. So, um, in, in ways, there's, there's a a profound difficulty of betrayal and, you know, <laughs> there's, a, there's an extra uh, aspect to that loss, but it would teach you who is and isn't that for you. You exactly. could feel the difference. Yes. Right. Right. And I love my husband. I, we had a very good relationship for a, a long time, really, um, in the scheme of things. But I'm sort of grateful for what was a terribly gut-wrenching divorce because without it I would have never met Tony I would have never known what it could really be like and the contrast um, is extreme I definitely think we can love people that we're not very compatible with uh, but it's so much better when you're compatible <laughs> for sure I'm remembering uh, very early on in my second marriage to my now wife um, and she said, "God, I wish I I wish we'd known each other sooner." Mm. And and I said, "Yeah, but I wouldn't have been me. Yes, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been the me that you've fallen for, because I changed so much in the process of that loss." Um, she had to accept that. Yeah, I totally appreciate that. I mean, I can, I understand the longing. I certainly was Absolutely. like, oh man, I, I look at photos of Tony when he was young and with his wife and they made a beautiful couple and just think, I am so jealous of that time. Sure. And yet, and yes, we would have been completely different people back then. Well, and also it would be different for her have, having never had a true love experience than for me. Mm -hmm. right? right. I would never want to erase my first wife. Right. right. So right. there is a difference there. But um, I guess we're both saying in different words, um, if if true love is what you want, don't accept less, you know, keep looking for it or keep open to it, not looking right. for it, right. but open to it. Yes. Right. Right. Without without um, denying that true love can take work, too. But. uh it should be easy. And if it doesn't feel fairly easy most of the time, then uh, I think they should keep looking. I think both of us have had an experience of the work of a relationship really referring to the loss of that relationship, you know, uh, 
that was the biggest work aside from, you know, dealing with disability and all that on, in my circumstance. But um, sometimes you just, you're not doing uh, the same psychological work with a person. It's more here we are together and, and I'm doing mine and you're doing yours. I, that's not well said, but um, it didn't seem to me like you and Tony had to work hard. We didn't have to work hard. And and that's not to say that there weren't um, issues or challenges. Sure, or, sure, or, sure. You know, as yeah. much as I think of him as almost a perfect person, he wasn't quite. But we're going to have to leave it there that. for today, Johnny. It's, uh, our time is up, unfortunately. Thanks for being here. And uh, listeners, to find Johnny Sensel, just go to johnnysensel.com. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.